Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of The Pilot's Pandemic. You're here with your host, Emma, and our co-host, Maddie. Hey guys, what's up? And we are here with a very special guest who you may have seen on Instagram as Lay Captain Morgan. Hey guys, how's it going? Um, I, yeah, Lay Captain Morgan. Uh, when I first imagined it, it was Lay Captain Morgan, but that's obviously <laughs> a little a little aggressive. So we'll we'll leave it at Lay Captain. Lay Captain Morgan is good. <laughs> Yeah, so you have like blown up on Instagram with your reels, Morgan. And I gotta say, you are, you're good. You are good. And I mean, look at you. I mean, you're like pretty much famous in the, like on the aviation, in the aviation community right now on Instagram. Dude, it's, it's wild. Um, I've, I've come across a couple different people either, you know, walking into FBOs and they're like, hey, I know you. And I was like, oh, I was like, Instagram, like, yes. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's been it's been really funny to uh to see that happen I don't really feel famous or anything but people recognize me and I'm like oh hi (laughs) that's wild dude I cannot even imagine so funny but no I am uh very easily inspired we can say that I found I mean I I find humor in just about everything sometimes when it's extremely inappropriate yeah that's the fun part though I think that's kind of what drew me to you (laughs) humor we're here for it yes <laughs> it's the only way to cope it's true <laughs> we're either laughing or crying sometimes both I prefer, <laughs> prefer to laugh yeah if you can laugh and cry at the same time it's it's good oh those are the best <laughs> <laughs> so Morgan we kind of wanted to get into your story and kind of see how you got inspired to start flying so dig in and dig in into your aviation story yeah, um, so I'm, I'm an aviation brat uh, my dad is uh, an air traffic controller or semi-retired you know he hit he hit 56 a couple of years ago but he's still in a staff position uh but he's an air traffic controller uh so I grew up around him and aviation and he flew he flew for fun and I just remember growing up in in planes he had a Piper Cub when I was 16 and it was so funny I just remember like sitting in the back of the Cub you know like kind of playing around my phone I'm like you know this is cool but you know I'm like I was 16 I didn't really it was normal for me. That's not normal for most 16 year olds. You throw any other 16 year old in the back of a Piper Cub and they're like, this is awesome. And there's me. I'm like, it's casual. Like, it's fine. Uh, (laughs) And I'm kicking myself now because he he told me, he's like, look, I can help you get your private. And I was like, nah, I'm not really that interested. Idiot. (laughs) So stupid. Um, That was like me when I first, like my dad was a pilot. So I grew up with it and it was always right in front of my face. So I never uh, like glamorized it. And yeah, it, I kick myself for it all the time. <laughs> right. We, we all could have started so much earlier, but you know what? That's okay. The timeline is meant to be how it is. I'm not too mad about it. I, uh, I, my dad asked me when I was either 17, 18, he was like, so they're yeah, probably a little bit younger, but my sophomore year of, of high school, he's like, so what do you want to, what do you want to do? What do you want to study in college? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> Um, he's like, well, what about air traffic control? So I was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds good. I have no idea what else to do. So, uh, I went to Laterno university, got my, got my associates in air traffic control, decided to come home. And then I, uh, drug absolute ass all over the place for six more years, <laughs> getting my, my bachelor's degree in aeronautics from, uh, Embry-Riddle worldwide. So I finished everything 
online. Uh, I graduated in 2019 and then my dad, um, he encouraged me to get my, my private. So I finally, you know, decided to, to take my shot. And uh, I started flying in 2016. I think I was looking at my logbook and my first time I started logging hours was 2016. I was flying a, uh, a little Cessna 120, a little tail dragger. I loved that thing. And um, somebody messed up one day though, and, and dug the prop into the ground, um, oh, no. into, the, into the mud. <laughs> My dad let his buddy fly it and he jacked it up for me. So I didn't get to solo in a tail dragger like I hoped, but uh, anyway, I, I picked it back up later in a, a Piper Warrior and I finished my, my private in May, 2018. That, that sounds awesome. right. And then, yeah. And then, and then drug my feet for a little bit longer. So that, that seems to be a running theme in my life. <laughs> I don't know. I feel the same way because I'm always like, I, I got my private, then I had to take a break to get money, you know, to gather all <laughs> up all the money from my IFR, got my <laughs> IFR. Now I'm like gathering up all the money for my commercial. It's just, <laughs> just start, time. stop, red light, green light, green, like, like all the time. Yep. <laughs> So we, on the show, we talk a lot about like 141 versus 161. And from my understanding, so after you got your private, uh, you know, we say we drug our feet a little bit and then you ended up entering into a 141 accelerated course. Can you walk me through that experience and like some of the pros and cons? Yeah. Um, I, let's see, when did I decide? So it was May last year. Um, I sort of hit my, hit my limit at work. found the school. Um, three days later, I was like, oh, I'm doing it. So I pulled the trigger. I probably only had two months to prepare um, for, you know, going into this accelerated program. And, and I'm, I'm extremely lucky because I have, you know, the private is already done. Um, I had already taken my instrument written at that point. I, uh, I think I was coming up, I was coming up on two years. So I knew I needed to start it soon. Otherwise I would have had to take the written again. Um, but yeah, no, I only had a solid two months to prepare. So I started July, July 12th. And um, yeah, it was so that the deal with the 141, the accelerated program, uh, I learned you know, after I got there. And, and I, I knew before that, that it was all going to be about prep work. Um, it was going to be, you know, getting all the writtens done as quickly as possible and going in with like the foundation already there. Um, I think that's, the only, probably the only way to truly succeed and actually stick to the timeline, like the accelerated program timeline, all that prep work has to be done before you walk in, even on the first day. So, um, so I, yeah, I did a lot of the ground school before, before all that. And then, you know, like I said, my bachelor's degree is, is in aeronautics. So I've got, you know, a, at least a decent foundation. It's not the best, yeah. but you know, at least a foundation in, in aviation. So it wasn't like starting from scratch. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's like definitely getting, I feel like getting your private at like a smaller airport with kind of like a more in a more low key setting um, and kind of getting your feet in the water is definitely the way to go. Oh, it's, it's huge. I, um, I mean, like I said, I'm lucky. I I grew up with my, my dad and I, I flew his Piper warrior. So it wasn't like you're sitting there, you know, watching your money fly out the window while you're waiting for people to land. So you could actually take your time and, and, you know, talk to your instructor and it's not all, you know, rush, 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 you know, you can, yeah, you, you can just take your time. And I think I flew with like three different instructors. One of them was a Southwest captain. Uh, I think he had like recently retired 
And um, anyway, I knew him from my time at Southwest and my dad happened to know him. So I, I flew with him and dude, dude had so much knowledge to pass on, you know, and, and on top of my, my other, my primary instructor, I guess, um, it was maybe a little bit younger than me, um, but I really enjoyed flying with different people and like having different, you know, who had different teaching styles, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that helps you like shape you into a better pilot when you have different resources and different um, teachers. Um, So I know that for you, like you went into school and you already had your PPL, but if someone with zero flight time was considering entering one of these programs, what would you tell them? I would tell them that they need to have a very honest conversation with themselves, um, at least with you know, people who come in with their private, they understand what the training is going to look like. So for people that have no time and don't really know what they're getting themselves into, they can't really gauge how well they're going to succeed in an accelerated program. Um, I, I think the best thing to do is come in with your private and, and some hours under your belt. Um, but you know, like, you know, some people, I, I saw one guy who started with zero time and due to the rock star, he finished the whole program in like five months from zero time. Uh, um, like he, uh, he just had an aptitude for it. Um, that's not everybody. I've also seen some people take like 10, 11 months to go through the, the same program and struggle with it a little bit more. Um, so I think it, it, it's, it's hard to have that honest conversation with yourself when you don't really know what you're going into. Um, yeah. so I, I think, you know, flying a little bit beforehand and getting a taste of what the training is going to look like will help you make that decision as to whether or not uh, the accelerated route is going to be the best um, choice for you. Didn't you um, say like when you were looking for schools like accelerated programs that some of them were would not allow you to have your PPL like they wanted you to start at zero? Yeah, uh, I think CAE in, in Arizona, I was looking at Southwest Destination 225 program. Um, and I had an interview with them. I really wanted to go to the school. It was going to be a year long. I really wasn't looking forward to spending a year. And then not only, you know, the cost of the program was more expensive than a lot of places, but the cost of living a year, um, you know, out there was also going to, going to really add up. Um, yeah. So, but CAE within through Destination 225, they wanted me to start start over again, basically. And they wanted to train me from, you know, from the beginning, which I understand. It's kind of like, you know, the military, you know, you, you go in with your private, they're going to start you over because they want to train you the way they want to train you. Um, and people, you know, coming into Southwest with, you know, the hope that you go through that program and you're going to get hired on with Southwest, they're going to want to train you kind of the same way and what they expect to see out of their pilot. So I get it, but also I couldn't afford it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, no one wants to pay for their PPL a second time. All over again. No, (laughs) no, thank you. Not when I have other options out there and not with like the, you know, the shortage, you know, going on like it is, if if it was a little bit more competitive than maybe. Um, but I I think by the time it, you know, it comes time to join the majors, I don't think they're going to be, you know, looking only at the people that they train through CAE, you know, Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they actually keep that policy because of the pilot shortage. What policy? Oh, like the one where you have to start over even if you have a PPL, you know, like they'll probably, yeah, yeah, through CAE, they'll probably drop it because of the pilot shortage. Right. Yeah. So I know we, we covered pretty much the majority of some of your experience with the 141 
program, but is there anything else? I know you said other than it being kind of fast paced, is there anything else that a student needs to expect from this type of training? Um, I mean, that's going to be the, the big one um, is just doing your homework before you get in. Uh, maybe taking a tour and talking to more people than I did. <laughs> like I said, I, I think I decided within three days that I was going to pull the trigger. I called uh, a guy named Thomas and I'm, I'm friends with, a, his, with, excuse me, friends with him now. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he was one of the sales guys I talked to and I texted him like every day asking all kinds of questions. This is after the fact. He was like, well, are you going to come in and, you know, do a, a discovery flight with us. I was like, I'm certainly going to try because at that point I was still working with Southwest. So I could have flown out there. And uh, anyway, it didn't quite make it happen. But um, yeah, <laughs> it, it worked out really well. But I think, you know, doing your homework and, and sort of getting a better understanding of what you're getting yourself into. I, I think I had a good idea. And I, you know, I did my best. I think I knocked out all of my writtens except for two before I got there. And then wow. the the one of them I got knocked out within I think a week of being there and the other one maybe a, a during my commercial I kind of hit a hit a bit of a lull there with commercial uh we had a lot of maintenance issues at one point and then weather was just really kicking our butts um so I had some more downtime so I knocked out that written at that point um but honestly that that's that's kind of it it's just yeah, knowing yeah. what you're getting yourself into because it's it's intense and it's a lot especially if if you've never done any, you know, formal training uh, like this before. Definitely. That's the kind of what I've always preached is like, definitely do research. I mean, even with, I grew up in within kind of the aviation industry, um, my uncle and my father being within it, but still when it came time to get really serious about school, I was definitely kind of like, lost in the sauce. Um, yeah. <laughs> so definitely doing a little bit of research before you choose is definitely a good a good yeah. piece of advice that and like the, the ground school they uh, uh blue line had a deal with like king schools i think atp also has a deal with king schools um so like knocking out all those videos sometimes they were really hard to watch <laughs> after <laughs> hours of those of those videos get a little bit difficult um but you know it's still it, it's it's ground school that's all the ground school you need um so you know, building that foundation, um, you know, I came in with instrument and obviously instrument is a different animal altogether. Um, it's, you know, nothing you learn in private is really going to matter when you get yeah. it. Right. So that's I the think, worst feeling ever, dude. I'll oh, never forget that. I'm like, wait, why did I spend so much time learning all this bullshit from the private pilot just to literally wash it straight down the drain <laughs> during my instrument training? Like, what? <laughs> Congratulations, you learned how to fly. We're going to kind of put that on the back seat. And here's all of this. this. <laughs> and a whole it's like new map. Language, right? the, the plates are different. The language is different. Nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> oh, I, I have always probably my, my, was my, probably my hardest check ride. Yeah. I had a difficult time with IFR. I think I, I got my IFR after not flying for probably a year and a half, two years, they jumped, they you know threw me straight into IFR. And then I got my IFR in like 21 days. I did not feel ready for my check ride. I went into that, like shaking. I managed to somehow pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't pretty, <laughs> got the job done, but it was not pretty. Yeah. Well, Emma's like the oddball out. Cause she, you loved IFR. Emma. I love my IFR training. That's when like <laughs> everything clicks for me. I mean, 
I, I mean, I felt definitely super satisfied after my private, but my private was a little bit of a struggle for me because I, I switched schools and then with the money and then the time and the weather, I was working a full-time job. Do Mm. not recommend, um, (laughs) you got to choose one or the other, but I was like, well, I got to survive somehow. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I mean, when, when I got my private pilot, I was like, okay, you know, like, this is good. Like I definitely had a good understanding of everything. I definitely felt confident after Mm. that, but I was still like, "Hmm," you know, I definitely want to learn more. And then when I got into my instrument rating, it was like, for some reason, like, I didn't know there were puzzle pieces that weren't clicking, but everything seemed to connect during my IFR. And I thoroughly loved my IFR training, but I think that does have to do a lot with like my instructors. Um, I worked with one instructor primarily, and he was just really a really good person to work with. And we always had a lot of fun. And I think that's the big thing is like still having fun when you're learning like such difficult things. Cause you still, you, you, it makes you want to learn. Um, yeah. so yeah, I love my IFR training, but I definitely, my experiences seems to be like super unique. Yeah. I think I, I enjoy the, like the training aspect. I just don't feel quite as confident as I could. Like, I definitely want to get better. I think having an IFR rating is probably one of the most important things a general aviation pilot could do for themselves obviously you need it Definitely. if you plan a career but i think it's so important for uh you know the general aviation um you know pilots to to get you know it, there's just so many accidents caused by you know inadvertent flight into, into imc and it's you know so dangerous so having that um you know that that extra knowledge behind you whenever you you fly is phenomenal Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of what was holding me back in my private pilot was like this kind of fear of like like I'd go on a cross country and I'd be like, mm, you know, weather, right, <laughs> I yeah. don't feel great about this, you know, and it, right. and it restricts you. And also like, I feel like during your instrument rating, you learn how to talk to ATC a lot more. Um, oh, yeah. even though like a lot of the, a lot of the calls that you're getting and the instructions that they're giving you, it's way more lengthy. There's a lot more to digest and read back. It's right. still, I don't know. You need that because you gain yeah. a lot more confidence and then you feel you're safer when you're able to speak up and, and acknowledge things and have a, like a good understanding and communication with ATC. Absolutely. You know, there is nothing that is a bigger confident, you know, confidence builder than being able to talk to ATC and not like tripping over your words and not yeah. you know, understanding what you're saying. It's such a huge confidence booster. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what there is about it, but, um, but, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, just having your private pilot's license, it's like, at, at least if you're smart, you know, there's times that you don't want to go out. You could probably push yourself and be like, oh, this is, this is fine. It's scattered. You know, it, it may come down, but I can, you know, work through it. But if you're smart, you'd be like, okay, that's kind of getting close to my minimums. I'm, yeah. I don't really want to push it that far. Um, but with your IFR rating, like, oh, cool. You know, worst case, I get a pop-up rating that's still, you know, well, above my minimums for, you know, an IFR flight, um, you know, the, the ceilings are, you know, above the minimums that, you know, whatever airport I'm going to, like, it's, yeah, if, if you're smart, there's other people who would just send it, they're like, oh, yeah, it's VFR, it's fine, here we go. <laughs> IFR, like, it reminds me of basketball, like, you, you go to, like, varsity level when you get your IFR rating. Right. <laughs> That's accurate, yeah. You're, like, on campus now. Yeah, it's a step up. <laughs> So um, the next question I have for you, Morgan, is, is there anything that you would have liked to have known before you started flight school? 
Um, <laughs> IFR, I wish my IFR knowledge would have been a little bit better. I wish I would have flown more um, before I got in there. Um, like I said, you know, a year, year and a half of not flying, you know, some of us feel rusty after, you know, a month or two or not of not flying and, you know, having to sort of, you know, get, get back in the saddle after not flying for a year and a half while trying to learn IFR and all this stuff was, um, was a little bit tough. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when you, it just feels like you're a little bit rusty, but I'm sure once you get back into the plane after a little while, you kind of like, it's just like riding a bike, like you pick back up. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry. I don't know if you guys picked that up. The, the cat was making a lot of noise. I don't know if that's a Oh no. Earlier when, when we were talking about IFR, like the first time, the first spill I went on, um, my cat decided he wanted to go behind the blinds and it was making so much noise and I couldn't focus. And I was like kind of shooing at him, but also trying to like talk and oh my God, I'm like, that section is going to be a little rough. Um, but no, I couldn't fine. really hear it. You're good. Okay, perfect. I, he like slammed himself into the door and I was like, oh no. Dude, they just do the most. We were, guys, we were having this whole conversation before we started recording that it, for some reason, cats always do the most whenever you need like a quiet space like they'll sleep all day but then when you decide you need to talk to somebody or record something they're up they're this is up my and moment ready to, to wreak havoc no yeah. i'm gonna be on this podcast and you didn't even know it oh. <laughs> i'm start of the show <laughs> but okay so back to some questions um have you ever doubted yourself along your aviation journey or has anyone ever doubted you? Um, I can't say no one's ever doubted me, or at least they certainly never voiced it if they, if they have. Um, I, I definitely doubted myself. I think there are a couple of different times, but you know, it's, it's mostly just the, the struggle of, I think the accelerated program. I felt like I wasn't grasping things uh, as fast as I, I needed to, but, you know, thankfully those weren't, you know, I, I was able to work through those pretty quickly. I'm like, look, you're fine. This is a tough program. You'll be okay. Um, yeah. But right now what I'm dealing with is doubting myself going into um, actually like teaching and, and becoming a CF. I mean, I, you know, obviously I got the rating, but the rating, you know, is only the rating it's yeah. you know what really matters is whenever you get in the plane and, and the you know the people you're actually instructing um so I'm I'm extremely nervous to start taking on students and I'm I'm sort of doubting myself now I I've but and I've talked to a lot of people I'm like what do you know what do I expect like how do I how do I get through this, you know, phase of, uh, of my career, you know, the instructing, instructing portion and how do I, you know, keep myself safe and my students safe? I'm like, what if I'm not ready? Like, I feel like there's so much more to learn, but I also understand that like, I do have more to learn and like everyone in my shoes has more to learn. Um, we've gotten the training done, but you know, now's the time where you actually really start to learn apply it yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah so right now that's that's my struggle uh, especially with private students um I was really initially hoping to um maybe instruct commercial students you know people who who know what they're doing and like okay we're you know kind of easing into this it's not like I'm jumping straight to a a student who's starting from private um but it looks like I'll be jumping straight into private I'm like okay a couple of deep breaths here we go we're gonna send it baby <laughs> 
awesome we are gonna be fine (laughs) I think you'll do awesome dude yeah I think you'll do great Morgan and I feel like that's a lifelong struggle that every pilot will have like they always want to achieve the best and the greatest and even my husband he's going through captain training right now and he's freaking out for this past week leading up to training he's like you know I just want to be a good captain I just want to do well Um, I'm not perfect like then what because I have to be captain of the ship and there's you know 200 people (laughs) in the back of the plane and I'm like Jesse how long have you been flying for? And he's like, uh, 20 years. I think you're good, babe. Like you've been flying this plane for five years. Um, I think you're ready and just own it. Like, and he is such a perfectionist. He has, he like memorizes everything. And, and he has me asking him questions all the time. I'm like, you know it, you're good. But it's just, (laughs) that is such a normal thing for a pilot. Like I feel like all pilots have this type A personality, even myself, not a pilot, but I do have a type A personality. Um, even for Instagram, me and Emma are like, we gotta have the perfect feed. Um, So it's just like, that is just the normal mentality I have. And I think you're going to be an awesome pilot. You're such a people person. That's kind of part of the the gig too, is being sociable and being able to connect with people on that, on that level too. Cause you're, you're everything. You're like the counselor, you're the leader. Um, and you're a coach, you're an inspiration. I looked up, I mean, I have so much respect and, and love and gratitude to all my flight instructors because yeah, the, the role you guys serve is definitely important. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) it is, but you're going to, you're going to do great. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're any indication of like your Instagram, like you seem like you are going to be just like such an awesome leader. So take that with, you know, a grain of salt. (laughs) um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So, um, next question is throughout your training, did you ever feel like you hit like any plateaus? Um, and if you did hit a plateau, kind of explain what that means and what Um, that was like. I felt like commercial I did, um, actually, you know, my, now that I think of it, uh, my, my power off 180 <laughs> for commercial, dude, that thing was, that thing was brutal. I, I, I remember having days, you know, these flights at, at one point at the end of my time building in commercial, we moved straight on to maneuvers and we, been, we did maneuver. I remember there were a couple of days because they were trying to get me ready for a check ride by the end of the week. I had like 15 hours to build or something crazy in like four days. And I was like, uh, wow. I'm tired guys. Yeah. <laughs> and there was one day we flew, we were supposed to fly two flights. Uh, I think the day before we had flown like five, five and a half hours that day we were supposed to fly, you know, the same amount. And I had like a migraine. I was like, look, this is like overwhelming. But, um, but those flights are, the first flight in the morning, I remember my flights would be pretty good and my maneuvers would be good. And the second flight was just shit. <laughs> it was garbage. It was hot garbage. I couldn't hit anything. My power off 180s were, were short. They were long. They were all over the map. And I don't know if that was so much a, a plateau. It is just like, you know, just some weird kind of, you know, being overwhelmed and being overstimulated sort of, sort of thing. But, um, yeah, no, I, I feel like, I mean, I hit some sort of plateau with maybe like commercial and, and maneuvers um, and just flying with, flying with some different people. I, I think I, I flew with uh, one or two different people, uh, if I remember correctly, in commercial. And um, yeah, I think I flew with our chief flight instructor and, you know, he kind of showed me his way and, um, you know, my, my primary instructor sort of showed me his um no, I, I don't know. It just, 
it came together when it was supposed to. I, I finally figured out sort of the way I wanted to, you know, the beginning of my maneuver to look. And then, you know, whenever you're, you're sort of on final there, figure out if you're long or short. I, I don't know. I, I just, I got the, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like uh, sometimes like you're, I, I've, I've talked about this before, but like an instructor can tell you, like multiple instructors can tell you to do it a certain way. 40 million times, but it literally just takes like you applying it and then getting it that one time. And it's like, boom, it clicks. But sometimes yeah. that can be a struggle. Yeah. I think getting, getting the, sorry, getting the feel for it, um, was, was huge because also like it's, it's all the power up 180s is all like an energy management maneuver, right? Like it, yeah. it, it's all based on, you know, the conditions, where's the wind coming from? How literally strong. harnessing air. You're like an airbender. <laughs> Yeah. And I finally, I finally figured, I think what was, what was big for me, there was one day, um, as we had talked about it, like, okay, if you're short, you're going to have to like dive a little bit more and then capture that ground effect. And I remember there was one day I hit my, I hit my flaps too, too early and I was going to be short. So I just pitched it down mm -hmm. and, and did like a straight dive into the ground and then caught that ground effect and ended up hitting my mark. And like, and that was a huge confidence builder because like, when you're short, there's not a whole lot you can do except yeah. for that maybe. And you may not, you know, get it, but you know, like getting the feel of it. Um, and just, you know, honestly, repetition, uh, I think repetition yep. was, was huge. And like, you know, especially two flights a day, the conditions in the morning aren't always going to be, and usually aren't the same as the conditions in like the afternoon, you know? So even the span of a couple hours is going to change the maneuver, um, a lot. So just repetition, I think, and, and, you know, understanding what different conditions are going to do, um, you know, to the performance of your plane and, you know, whether or not you're going to be short or long and, and figuring that out. Um, I think, I think the repetition helps with plateaus, at least for me. Oh yeah. I, I, I feel like you and Emma had that same issue, like where you were supposed to hit a certain spot on the runway and then you guys both over, over went over, I don't know how to say I always it. was like, either yeah. overshooting or undershooting. Like, <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. 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 It's never on it, the money. It's either long or short. <laughs> especially when your instructor, like that is that that's hard. Like power off landings when they ask you, like when you need to touch down within a at a certain point and within a certain amount of feet, that's difficult. I mean, like that, cool. like I said before, it is literally like being an airbender. Like you really have to like think so dynamically. You have to feel the way that the airplane is moving and look at everything that your gauges are telling you and then act and think accordingly it's almost right. like being a bird right. <laughs> that, just, that just reminded me of me pushing back planes for the first time you guys that shit was scary yeah. and it's the same because you have to think opposite when you're doing a pushback and we had a tow bar we didn't even have electro which is easier to use but I could never get it on the line so <laughs> you guys actually landing a plane on a spot I'm like damn that's cool <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it? I wasn't always on the center line. I was like, if I did hit it, I was like hard left of center <laughs> line. Like, I don't care. It's on the thousand footers. We're going to count it, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Morgan, you mentioned that you're Lebanese, correct? Yes. Yeah. So that is, I, so Oh girl, I love Lebanese food. I don't, I don't know if that's messed up to say, but like we were having a conversation with somebody else and like, um, she was Greek and like, 
we were talking about Mediterranean food and Middle Eastern food. I'm just like so obsessed. Like it, it's a real addiction, but so being Lebanese and I think you said you're first or second generation. So I'm assuming you have more of tr- traditional family. Um, what was your response when you told them you, that you were going to become a pilot? Um, they were, I mean, super supportive. Actually, my, my grandmother, God love, so I'm, I'm second generation. Uh, my, my grandmother was born and raised in, in Lebanon. Uh, she, she married my grandfather uh, when he came to visit with his family. Uh, they met and married in two weeks, you know, casual, and then came back to, uh, came back to the States. And Woo! Um, hell of a honeymoon. Yeah, two weeks, you know, and, and it's hilarious because she couldn't speak English and, and he couldn't speak Arabic. So clearly they got married. Uh, nice. As that a, happens as a lot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> a match made um, in heaven. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so she's 93 and, um, and she is like so proud. Every time I walk in, she lives down the street from me. So every time I see her, which is fairly often, she, she salutes me. Oh my <laughs> God. That's so cute. And she gives me a big old hug and tells me how proud she is of me. Um, Dang. my family has been so supportive. Um, and you know, my, my mom, you know, obviously married to my dad, you know, would fly with my dad. She wasn't her favorite, especially, you know, not when it was like turbulent and stuff. She'd get a little nervous. Um, but, but, uh, no, she, they're all very proud of me. And my, my mom actually is, is so happy I'm I'm doing this, but, uh, for a while there, I was looking at flying for the, uh, the air force reserves and she was just not here for it. No, not at all. She did not want me in the military. Uh, you know, obviously that didn't that didn't pan out. So here we are. So she is thrilled that I'm not yeah. military and I'm able to to fly and, and do something cool because my, my they they watch me sort of stumble around blindly for the last 10 years, sort of farting around, having a good time, but you know, not really doing anything with my career. So they're like, oh my God, thank God you have figured this out. I mean, my <laughs> My, my extended family, I've got, I've got a vascular surgeon in my family, a dentist. It's kind of like smart people, smart folk. Dude, it's wild. (laughs) I sort of felt like the, uh, uh, the family disappointment there for that was my own thing I put that on myself but it was like watching yeah. my cousins you know be super success successful and I'm like okay what am I what am I having for lunch <laughs> it was like the, the extent of my thought process um so it took me a minute so anyway yeah all that to say they're, they're proud that I've, I've kind of figured things out <laughs> well I, love that. I, I yeah same and you know, this is kind of a, a good thing to touch on while we're talking about it, but it, it takes everyone's journey is like completely different. And I, I mean, I've seen people who had a career job, they were like in their thirties and then just woke up one day and decided they wanted to be a pilot. And now they're flying for the airlines. So, Um, I mean, I, I love that you're able to like acknowledge that it took you a little bit longer to get where you're at, but you're here. Yeah, that's what matters. And, and I think, you know, everyone, like you said, everyone's timeline is their own, you know, you're, you're not going to fit someone else's timeline. Um, you've got to, you know, take the path that, that works for you. And I'm, I'm glad it worked out this way. Um, I, I remember in 2019, my capstone project was on the, the pilot shortage. And at that point, I wasn't super motivated. Like I finally, you know, got my degree done, but I, I really wasn't motivated past that. And then, you know, this, the you know, COVID happened and really yeah. exasperated it. Um, and, and sort of lit a fire on, under me. Cause I was like, I don't want to keep scanning boarding passes for the rest of my career and get 
yelled at by assholes who are like drunk and high and ready to throw hands. I'm like, I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> I'm gonna punch somebody. Yeah. Nothing, nothing like a coked yeah. up asshole from Miami who's ready to go. <laughs> no, this is bullshit. I am over it. It's yeah, always I in Florida you. passengers. It's always Miami. I swear to you. Miami. Oh. My, I got big feelings on Miami. All right. If, they, if we, it's so if funny a- that my, my, um, my mom and my, my mom's boyfriend, they're going to Miami like next month. Oh. I'm like, ah. Tell them to get they're ready to see some hands. things. People are ready. People are always ready to go. They're I'm going like, for the boat show too. So like, I know there's oh, going to be God. some interesting people in the airport. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. yep. <sighs> no, yeah. When I was doing customer service too, it was like, dude, they're going to Florida or they're coming from Florida. It's going to be a disaster. Oh yeah. This guy was a uh, one passenger I'm thinking about in particular, um, was coming from him and his, whoever he was traveling with. It was a whole, it was a whole shit show. Um, coming from Sacramento, going to Miami and they had a layover in Houston and uh, it was a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Well, that motivated you. Now you got your wings. It did. It really did. So I'm, I'm grateful, you know, COVID there, you know, I, I try to see the silver lining and everything and, you know, obviously COVID upheaved a lot of lives. Um, but the silver lining for me is that I, you know, it lit a fire and, and I, I, you know, realized that, you know, I need to make a move and I need to do it now. I'm young enough to, to start a new career and have, like an excellent and a long career as a pilot, especially, um, you know, it's a mandatory retirement. So well, yeah, 65, still got a long ways to go, but, you know, starting now and starting with this, this shortage, the way it is, um, I think I've really set myself up for a, a nice long career. Yeah. I think that you got into it like such a great time. I have another friend from high school who decided the same thing, he called up my husband and was like, how do I get into this? He also did an accelerated program here. And he's already got a job at the airport. I think he's flight instructing right now. Um, he's in the pathway to go to the regional. So it's just like, it's such a good time to get in. Doesn't matter even how old you are. We had another um, personal friend who's a cop and he's like, I want to retire. I want to start a new career. And he's now going to be a pilot. Um, so I think like, it doesn't really matter even your age, but I think you, you, you will have a long successful career just because you are getting in, in your thirties and yeah you know, it's such a good time to get in. Right. Definitely. There, there, I went to school with a couple of people in their, you know, know, late thirties and and even forties. And they're like, you know, you know, I'm doing it. I'm, you know, I'm happy I'm doing it. And then I have people in my DMs who are like, well, I'm, you know, I'm 35. Is it too late? I'm absolutely not. (laughs) You get in there. It's a great time to fly, man. I mean, especially, um, and you mentioned this on your Instagram too, because even at the regionals, now you're getting paid well. You're not getting paid yeah. less than 30K anymore. Like when my right. husband was a regional pilot, I made more than he did when I was Ugh. a rental assistant. And so, you know, those were tough times, but those now it's bad. like, you're getting a signing on bonus. You can just jump ship at any time, really. Um, and then you have that smooth pathway up to the major. So yeah. I think it's an, a great time to get in no matter what age you are. Absolutely. And, you know, the upgrade time they used to, I remember talking to someone with, uh, who worked for Sky West. This is, you know, five, 10 years ago. And, um, and I think the upgrade time from FO to captain was something like seven years. Um, and I was like, well, that's dumb. <laughs> who wants I mean, to do that? <laughs> that's not actually that long. Usually it's like 10, 15, right. uh, over yeah, here on the West coast. Lord. <laughs> oh man. Like, but yeah, my- yeah why would you want to, you know, 
drag out for that long and, you know, struggle to kind of, I guess, you know, the first few years are a little bit rough, but it gets better after that, or at least that was the assumption, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, but, you know, taking so long to work through the regionals before even getting to the majors, you know? Yeah. And especially because at that time they weren't paying well, but now, I mean, my husband just upgraded and he was only first officer at the majors for five years. So, and that's pretty wow. quick. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. majors too. That's awesome. Yeah. And he's a 32 year old or 33 year old captain. Yeah. So. Oh, he's got, oh, that's he's got awesome. time. Oh yes, he does. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like get that captain pay. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's oh, awesome. we're making up for all those last times when you went to regionals. I write. Um, we're- <laughs> my time is now yes <laughs> i'm getting what i'm due so good for him that's great yeah so our next question for you is like um prior to your flight training did you know any female pilots and were there any ones that kind of stoked your fire in the industry that really inspired you to become pilot um my i think my flight instructor my, my flight instructor um was a woman and you know so seeing seeing a woman you know instructing and being instructed by instructed by one um was was pretty big uh i think there were a handful of of female pilots i was following on on instagram so you know watching watching women you know succeed uh was also a a you know motivator but uh mostly it was my dad <laughs> um he he kind of pushed it on me i, I think flying was always his his dream um and he wanted me to pursue it I I wasn't you know it's one of those things like okay well dad wants me to do it so now I don't really want to do it kind of things um but you know it it finally all kind of fell into place like I said when I you know realized I needed to do something so when I first started or when I first decided that I was going to fly um like full-time and and you know dedicate everything to it um at that point my thinking was like okay it's it's going to be a job. It may not be my passion, but like, it's still a pretty damn good job. The views aren't bad. The pay certainly isn't bad. Um, but you know, this might not, it may not be my passion and that's okay. Um, and then I got into school and then like threw myself into it. And then I making my own path realize made me realize that it was my passion. It wasn't actually my dad's dream, you know? Yeah. Um, I felt so, that. So I, f- I feel that so hard. You're speaking yeah. <laughs> my heart right now. I, I, I grew up kind of the same way. I mean, my dad was a captain, but he soloed when he was 16 years old. So it was always like every single one of us was going to solo at 16. And that was like a huge goal. And he tried really, really hard to get me my private, but I just was not feeling it. I just, Right. I don't know why I just kept saying like, you know, this just isn't for me as much as I have a love for it. I love flying with him. I was like, Mm -hmm. I just, I don't have what it takes. And then it's awful. Like what you were saying with COVID kind of like sparks that fire, but it didn't, it, it really didn't hit me until my dad passed to get super inspired to want to fly. And then I realized it was definitely a passion for me. Yeah. It's funny how that, that works, you know, taking a step away from like our parents and their expectations and, and doing something on your own it's like oh <laughs> wait yeah. this yeah. Is awesome. I, I always <laughs> used to say well like I'm I'm just gonna be a flight attendant you know what I mean like it, like yeah. I want to be in the industry but I just don't think I have what it takes to be a pilot my dad would flip he'd be like 
not my child. If there's no reason why you could be in the back, but you can't be in the front. Like it was just always in like in us that it didn't matter what our gender was like. Yeah. And it didn't matter if I was struggling in this moment. My dad always believed that like we all three had what it took to be able to become pilots. So I definitely oh, I feel that. I feel that That's strong, strong awesome. fathers make strong daughters. I, I, my dad has been, you know, so supportive and, it, you know, your dad was as well. And that's so awesome to hear that, you know, that these men want their daughters to like, you know, become something great. Cause I've, I've mm. talked to, I remember talking to one flight attendant in particular. Um, she was, she was maybe in her thirties. She wasn't too old, but um, I say too old. She wasn't like in her twenties, but her her dad was a I think a, a southwest you know captain and I was like oh do you want to do you want to fly and she was like yes but my dad would never allow me and I was like are you what? me like what? that blows my mind that people have like fathers like or that women have fathers like that that would not let them do you know something you know like like flying wow. it, it boggled my mind and I was so I was so upset for it. yeah <laughs> not even my dad it's not my life but I was mad yeah <laughs> I was like you can do something great if you want to I was thinking of my dad because he used to always want me to be a flight attendant and I always think back now I'm like why didn't he ever like just like put a little seed in my mind that I should be a pilot and yeah. really I think it was that my mom was the breadwinner while he was in general aviation he was a bush pilot he was trying to build his hours and I think for him it was like you're not going to be able to afford this. And so, and I also think it was a little bit of me because I also pushed back on my dad. I was like, I don't want to be, have any part of aviation. I didn't really think him being a pilot was that cool. I wasn't like, (laughs) take me up in the air and fly me around. You know, I went on a few flights with him, but I never really thought, you know, this is a something I could do, but I also grew up thinking I wanted to play basketball in the WNBA. So yeah. it was like a huge disconnect there. I was like, I'm going to be a sports star. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there was that disconnect for him. He was like, well, if I'm going to get her in aviation, she could be a flight attendant. And even then I was like, hell no, I didn't no. want to be a flight attendant. <laughs> right. And, you know, we connected a lot and, and I became a ramper customer service agent, you know, in the last few months of his life before he, he passed away in a plane crash. And that really tied us together and bonded us. And I think that's what stuck me to aviation is that bond that we shared. Um, yeah, yeah. So there are different aspects, I think, of why fathers don't share those things with their daughters, but that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think it was definitely like a money thing because he knew how much money he was like hemorrhaging just to get some hours. Yeah. That's Mm. yeah, that's fair. And that was, that was a while ago. So, you know, the, the, the pay was less than stellar. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it really was. I know. And then you got all that. It, like you're saying, um, Maddie, it's always like that those hours, dude, every single hour counts. And it's like, you got to have those hours, but them hours are expensive. Yeah, they are. (laughs) They don't come cheap. Um, and even if you're like working to get those hours, even if you're getting paid, you're still, you know, it, it takes a lot. Being a CFI is not an easy job. Um, Like I said, I still got so much respect for every CFI I've ever worked with because the, I mean, their days were rough. I mean, North Carolina in the middle of summer, like rough, rough. So I'm not looking forward to that here in Houston. It's going to be soupy, baby, soupy. (laughs) Yum. I don't sweat. I glisten, baby. Oh, that's it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I left my glistening on the seat. Yep. Sorry about it. <laughs> the, the, oh, the, the lamb and the, the lamb and the cockpit a little bit wet. <laughs> okay. So I just gotta, I gotta stop myself before I even begin because I can make so many jokes about sweat on the seat of the, <laughs> what, what episode was that Maddie? You asked like, what that was, was the like grossest? last episode and we were talking yeah. about sweat. Yeah. She asked like, what's the grossest or nastiest thing you've ever done? Like, or anyone else has ever done while you're flying. And I'm like, definitely me sweating all over the Sherpa seat covers, like, or, no. or getting into the plane and sitting on the Sherpa seat cover. And it's already wet from the guy before, but then it, it cools down a little bit. So it's cold and wet. Mm. <laughs> no, no. Oh, yep. that's rough. oh, that, that Sherpa, that lining is. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? That's like, that nasty that's like the fart that's like the fart cushion that holds so many parts and so much sweat dude like like, does the plane smell a little different in the summertime just because all that sweat (laughs) but it always has the same smell and I didn't realize but like I've always loved that smell like I kind of like you know the way that an old airplane smells but when I didn't realize like when I was coming back from my flight lessons, like I always used to joke, like, yeah, I spilled like Avgas all over me. I've got like oil on my hands, you know, I'm like dirty, <laughs> dirty girl. And like, it wasn't until a few months in where my boyfriend was like, yeah, you actually do kind of like smell though. Like you have a distinct smell when you come back. It smells like airplane. <laughs> I was like, I thought this was a joke. no no it's not this is real life (laughs) you're like no you legit smell like musty fabric i'm like okay thank you thank you certain uh 1972 cessna smell yeah it's it's chanel 172 chanel 172 (laughs) you heard about it it. oh we should make a line of sense airplane sense airplane sense it's not going to sell out very well i can tell you that oh no blue juice (laughs) la 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 blue (laughs) make it french everybody will buy it yeah no for real seriously that's the key make it a high price yep yep i'm sorry is it 25 dollars for a four ounce candle (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) candle there's blood, sweat, and blue juice in this, okay? <laughs> mm, my favorite smells. My favorite oh. smells. Oh, so kind of in the same theme of just like nasty and scary and disgusting, what is the sketchiest or scariest thing you've ever done as a student pilot? Like during a solo or during a lesson? Uh, probably, um, I'm, there was one day me and my, I was with an instructor. We had an ECU failure. Thankfully he had, he had had it before and it happened on the ground. So that wasn't a huge deal, but it was, it was sketchy because we had to like fly the plane back. It worked out so that I won't use that story. I mean, I mean that was long story short, that was it. But um, <laughs> we, I had a solo flight and uh, I was flying. It's in North Carolina. There's, you know, like a couple of hills. There, it's not really mountainy, but I had a cross country to, um, Oh crap. I forgot the, I forgot the code, um, the code for it. I forget the name of the airport, but it was, it was out West, like into the mountains. And I have never Winston-Salem. No, no, no. It was past Winston-Salem. Um, Oh shit, girl, you going, um, yeah, you were, you was going deep. Okay. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, I went, oh, I went into it and I was, I, I, no experience at all in any kind of like hilly mountainous terrain. And, um, I should tell you what, let me, let me find the 
Wil Wilkes, no, not Wilkes County. Um, Wilkesboro, I know where that is. I'm a North Kekalaki, oh. born and bred, baby. Born and bred, so. baby. Uh, Ash, Ash County, does that ring a bell? Gold is that Asheville? Pittsburgh. I don't know what county Asheville is, but I don't think so. But I don't think so. No, because it, it's pretty much directly west of Winston Salem. Um, okay. See, I got I pulled four flight up. Let Isn't me it Ashland. I don't. I don't forget. K G E V is the the code, um, and it's yeah. right into the mountains. It's huh. it's like sixty one miles almost directly west um maybe west uh northwest ish of winston-salem uh anyway airport elevation was only Gordonsville, virginia no i think it's still in north carolina hmm. it's oh yeah it, it's maybe what is that uh 10 miles south of the virginia north carolina border um, okay no, airport elevation is 3,178 feet. Ooh. The uh, the peaks, though, surrounding the peaks, I shouldn't say peaks, the peaks of the hills, because they were hills. Like I said, this is this is mountains for me, but other people would consider these hills, whatever, to each their own. Um, They're mountains to me, girl. Shit. Right? I'm like, that's a big-ass mountain. A mountain's a mountain if you crash into it. Okay, I don't care. <laughs> sure. I don't care how big it is. You can call it a hill, whatever. I, I don't want to crash into it. Good point. Um, so the, the peaks around it though were 4,710 and the other one was 4,660 and they're right like in the pattern like it, it's in a valley and I didn't put together that flying into the mountains meant that maybe an airport was like within within the <laughs> within the mountains and it was it was a really good lesson I ended up not landing I I, I came in the wrong way looking at like the wind unless uh, less looking at the mountains what I should have done is just land with a tailwind and then leave the same way because it was the the approach in our one end is is clear like you can come straight yeah. in you know and, and not you know, worry about hitting anything but if you are flying a pattern I saw these I was at pattern altitude and saw these like hills above me and I was like oh this is Ooh. this is sketch city I don't yeah. like this at all and I did I made a really tight pattern ended up blowing well past final like it, it, the whole actually I, I got a video of, of the whole approach and I uh <laughs> I got back over the over the top I'm like I'm still like 100 feet above the runway I was like oh there's no way in hell this is gonna work so I just sent it I went around um and I at that point I was running short on time because that my, my flight didn't get checked out until like an hour later than it was supposed to so I landed just outside of the mountains I think I landed it Wilkes Wilkes County um maybe 20 miles uh, I know where that is okay yeah. yeah yeah so that that other airport is is 20 miles to the to the northwest of, of that airport in the mountains so I, I landed outside of the mountains and uh and went on <laughs> went on home but it was uh it was a little sketch uh it was a really important lesson on just like four flight is fantastic you zoom in if I would have zoomed in and really done my homework on this place I would have seen that there are peaks like you yeah. know that this airport is is in a valley and I could have just flown straight in with a slight tailwind and would have been a hundred percent better and, and could have been fine um but I tried to you know listen to the wind and you know fly a, I crossed over the top midfield and you know was looking directly at a mountain above me and I was like I don't like this I don't like this at all <laughs> uh, I'm always like so caught up on wind like I'll never forget one cross country solo cross country I did you know I'm I'm, I'm thinking about the wind and which direction I'm gonna land and 
I get all set up and prepared and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm about to commit. And then all of a sudden I realize on the opposite end of the runway is a helicopter flying the opposite direction with a tailwind doing the opposite of what I'm doing. And I'm like, Oh, fuck. And I've never done a tailwind landing before. So I'm like, all right, there's a first time for everything. (laughs) And that was like, Ooh, that was sketchy. And, and the whole entire time, I just, I just kept thinking, Oh my God, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. And then I'm like, (laughs) you're alone. You're alone right now. (laughs) And then I'm freaking out even more. And I'm like, that means that I have to be held accountable for all these decisions. (laughs) Look, The consequences of my own actions. Oh my God. Dude, we've all been there, you know, and, and it, sometimes you just got to learn the hard way. You do. And oh, speaking of helicopters during my private training, I, uh, I was on fire. I was on short. Well, I I was what, 20 feet above the runway. There's a a, a helicopter, uh, hovering on, you know, (laughs) you know, the, the taxiway about to to pull in behind me and, and go ahead and take off. And, um, and I was kind of admiring the helicopter about to put her down and, uh, and then I got a real good lesson on prop wash. Yeah. <laughs> As it blew I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Oh, scared the living shit out of me. I, oh my gosh, it blew me so hard. I was like, what a cool helicopter. My instructor was like, this is yeah. an important lesson. What a cool helicopter. Yeah. Now you're shitting, what? pissing, what? farting, <laughs> screaming, cussing. Would you look at this grass? This is such yeah. a lovely grass to crash on. How soft. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I admire the grass. Oh man, that was so sketchy. <laughs> Yeah. Oh gosh. I've, I've been, I I've never had it when I've been landing, but, um, I've been holding short of the runway. Like after I've done my run up waiting for like an Osprey to land mm-hmm. and Ooh. holy shit, you're sitting there on the brakes and the whole Cessna is just like, <laughs> like you're literally about to take flight right then and there. And you're going to go directly up. Like <laughs> Beam me up. I'm the helicopter now. I'm bitch. in a helicopter. <laughs> dude oh my gosh yep good times (laughs) whirly birds gotta love so morgan um because you're talking about these challenges what was kind of like one of the most mentally challenging or physically challenging things you faced as a student pilot (laughs) ifr (laughs) always comes back to ifr really has and you know that tells me that I need to maybe focus on IFR before I you know jump into instructing I feel like I can I can get a little bit better I can absolutely get a little bit better on that but girl you did it in 21 days like I I mean it took me like a month from start to finish and I had all my hours but then I had to you know how it be then I was like they're like you know time to schedule a check ride and I'm like um I only have 48 cents left (laughs) help me I'm poor like yeah like um we're gonna have to postpone that a little bit so then I had to take like three four months and then come back to it and then of course now you're stuck retraining so then it took another month to retrain but to get your IFR in 21 days girl I would not be sitting here saying oh we love my IFR if I had to do it in 21 days (laughs) yeah that's fair and there's people that did it faster I blew blew my mind I was okay I'm you know what (laughs) it's all right I I, I need, just need to get better at it. It's just one of those, those doing and putting yourself and, you know, going and flying in actual and fly, flying IFR, you know, there's only so much book work you can do uh, before yeah. you actually, you just have to get in the plane and, and, you know, put it into practice and, and do it. It happened. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So we know you did not like IFR training, but 
what was your favorite part of training? I once I didn't like it. I, I, it was just harder. I appreciate it. And I love like filing IFR. I just, I get a little nervous. I'm like, okay, yeah. if they asked me to like hold in a really random spot. And I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm like writing it out. And they're like, can you just, just hold on again? We don't even care where you hold anymore. Just, just hold somewhere. I promise anyway. I'm dying. <laughs> Um, best part of training, probably like the cross countries in, um, in my commercial phase, uh, the, the places we, we went, we, you know, flying into the mountains, there was another flight, um, me and my instructor ended up being a dual cross country. We flew just North of like the class Bravo, or it may have been under like the last shelf, uh, in the class Bravo airspace under, uh, Charlotte or in Charlotte, North of Charlotte, um, and it was, uh, we ended up doing a bunch of just, you know, stop and go. Cause we, we couldn't do touch and go. So we did, we did a bunch of stop and goes, uh, and just practice some, some landings. There was no one at this airport. It was a little class Delta. Uh, the air traffic controller was the sweetest guy. No one else was there. So we're just, you know, shooting the shit with him on the radios and, and enjoy. <laughs> and we watched the sunset, uh, below behind the mountains and it was, oh my gosh. The sunset flights, uh, oh, dude, stop my heart melting. Oh. <laughs> that the, I did a long cross country to Savannah. That was pretty cool. Um, it was long though on the way back. It was, it would think it was nighttime. We'd filed IFR and I think we actually, we got some actual at night. That was, that was pretty cool. Uh, flying in the clouds at night. It was, it was weird. Um, yeah. that was my first time, you know, in actual conditions at night, it was different, but it was, uh, it was cool. So, you know, all the cross countries were, were just awesome. What, what's like your best cross country location that you've been to? I probably that one, uh, North of Charlotte, that was probably my favorite. Um, little class, no mountains, no mountains there. Huh? No mountains. (laughs) No, there were mountains, but they were, they were all, uh, well to the West. We could, we could admire them from a distance and that was all I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was uh, good in the background yes not right? near you. Um, yeah the, the silhouette of the you know the mountains with the the sun setting was yes. beautiful and as long as I didn't have to you know be afraid of running into them I was a big fan I would love to do some mountain flying and do like some you know backcountry training and some like bush flying training I oh one one day that's that's when I have some money that in my seaplane when when I have oh, yep. some fun left uh i think that would be some awesome training because i am not comfortable in any kind of mountainous hilly terrain we have overpasses here in houston (laughs) i'm like come over to the west side where all it is is mountains i literally live next to the mountains (laughs) five minutes from my house five minutes that would be great experience i would love to one day one day it's on the list i need to get more more comfortable there so but, you know, I just picked up a job instructing in Houston. So it's more, more flatlands for me, it seems <laughs> for the near future. Speaking of what are you like looking forward to the most as you make your way into a CFI position? Um, I mean, I've always enjoyed teaching. Um, I, I grew up sailing actually, and, and I, I would volunteer at this, the sailing camp that was near me. Uh, and I, I instructed for them. Actually, I spent a summer working there, you know, along with volunteering during like the year as I, you know, got older, 16, 17, 18. Um, I instructed there uh, for a summer and I really enjoyed it. And I've always loved being on the water. I'm, I'm an absolute fish. Um, and I, yeah, I enjoyed 
uh, instructing. So I, yeah. I think, you know, that's going to translate at first. I was really, you know, like I said, I, I'm obviously nervous, but I was, you know, before all that, I was like, I don't think I really want to instruct, you know, I'm going to have some kid next to me. that's going to try to kill us both. Like not a big, fan. I always say that I'm like, I'm going to fly with someone and they're, he's literally, or I'm like, I love how I'm like, he, because <laughs> I would never, <laughs> when I think about For anything sure, happening, he. like, against my life it is never a woman we talked about this when i yes. when i imagine being bullied or beat up on or like dying in the arms of somebody else it is never by a woman it is always by a man it's a dude this dude is gonna try to kill me no literally i'm like what if i say something and it pisses them off and oh, then no. they're stronger than me because they're a man and i'm sitting over here little toothpick looking motherfucker and <laughs> and they're like you know what fuck you. I'm going to do what I want. And then they're going to take control. And I'm going to be like my controls. And they're going to be like, no, fuck you. I'm the captain now. No, and you. I'm the captain. Now. <laughs> All right. Look, that's when you undo your seatbelt, you spin around the seat and you fucking donkey kick this asshole. Yes. Dude, <laughs> put your thumbs in his eyes. Right? <laughs> I'm going down. I'm going down with the fight. All right. <laughs> yeah, for real. Thankfully, Jeez. I haven't heard too many stories about that. I think there was I have like a handful here and there of, you know, people who are like, you know, unfortunately made it through like the security screening and maybe shouldn't actually be flying. Thankfully, those are few and far between at least. Y'all just yeah, gotta remember the... seven, five hands to the sky, baby. <laughs> <laughs> one of the tips that my husband gave, like told me that he used to do when he was a flight instructor is if like someone did something super sketchy where he didn't feel safe is he would literally arm bar them like so hard because they it, it shakes them up and they're like what the hell you know right. so sometimes you do gotta hit them right that's <laughs> your little this you know i don't know, karate chop to the neck maybe the right in the right i don't know where that spot is or what slap them in the face <laughs> punch elbow whatever it takes. <laughs> if it's a man hit him in the nuts right <laughs> that's true be prepared for the unexpected Thankfully, I think we can get a pretty good gauge on, you know, how your students are going <laughs> to be and communication is important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So with that, like after you're done, like flight instructing and everything, like what is your goal in aviation? Um, you know, airlines is kind of the, the ultimate goal. Um, I think I'd. I well, depend. I'm assuming I'm going to enjoy instructing, so I, I might like to continue to instruct here and there. Um, but you know, I, I'd like to get to the airline so I can sort of do the kind of flying that I want to do in my off time. So, like, yeah. get me a you know, a carbon cub with some bush tires and you know, yes, some, ma'am, some, yes, some land in the middle of nowhere and like just go tear it up and you know, do some fun stuff like that, some really fun flying, and you know, maybe yeah. like I said, seaplane. I'd love to get my seaplane rating. Um, but yeah, no, do some, some flying, you know, that you can enjoy with, you know, friends, pack up the, pack up the plane and go camping, you know, stuff like that. I I would, I would love to do that. That's the, that's my off time, uh, after I, you know, make it to the, make it to the majors. It seems like all the cool kids fly a cub these days. Right. (laughs) I know. I'm trying to get a hold of, um, my dad's cub right now, me and my brother like itching now that he's got his private pilot now. And now that I've got my instrument rating, I'm like, okay, it's time for the tailwheel endorsement. Right. Yes. Yes. It's on the so list. speaking of airplanes, which we know you're a tail dragger Stan, which same here, sister, if I could, <laughs> if I could pick anything to do, like I tell people all the time, I'm like, I just want to be a bush pilot. I know that's <laughs> kind of like a far-fetched dream, but that's my dream. But <laughs> High wing or low wing and why? Uh, 
I've, I've been flying low wings for a while. Um, uh, let's see. Most of my hours before I, you know, went to school, they were, was, yeah, a Piper warrior. So low wing, it was actually a much easier transition from the, the warrior. Actually, they, they, they had me fly the Cessna for my instrument rating. And then I went into the diamond after that. And uh, going from the Warrior to the Cessna was rough. It was, it was like, oh, you, you need a flare. No, like a lot more, more than that. And it's like yeah. uncom- such an uncomfortably high, you know, attitude. I'm like, oh, this sucks. And then I got into the diamond. I'm like, oh yes, this is, this is it. This is much better. Um, so probably low wing just because. It's uh, what you're used to. Yeah, girl, like, like short girl nature. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, probably. Dude. <laughs> I, I had to transition from low wing to high wing right before my check ride for my oh, private pilot. And no. that was wild. <laughs> <laughs> Rough. Lots of flair. No, of flare. yeah. I just remembered what I learned. Like in the beginning of my training, I had a few hours in my logbook from like just a local airport in my hometown. I flew with some like old heads down there. And one thing that somebody said to me that always stuck with me. I was, we were flying a 150 and I was trying to get my landings. And he was like, listen, sweetie, you just need to push the nose. And I want you to literally put yourself at an angle where you feel like you are skydiving. And at the very last minute, I want you to pull up hard. And then I want you to take the trim wheel and spin that sucker hard again, and you'll get it. And it was like, he told me that. And then I had to remember that, like, as I had to transition from the low wing to the high wing, I was like, okay, just just stick the nose at the ground and at the last minute pull back hard <laughs> that sounds dude so <laughs> rough so rough but now I'm like I always think about it because I I love I love flying the low wing because it was just very maneuverable like they're more yeah. aerobatic but now I'm like I love I love a good high wing I'm like <laughs> I feel like that's my comfort zone because I grew up flying the cub though and like having that above you that's what I'm used to that's, yeah, that's fair. At, at this point, I, I remember jumping into the Cessna and like looking down when we're in altitude. I'm like, you know what? There's something about seeing the ground that I don't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> when yeah, I, look I, I can imagine that could be uncomfortable. <laughs> so weird. I'm like, I could just fall out. Not that, you know, falling out of a, a diamond or, well, you can't exactly fall out of a diamond. That, uh, <laughs> that, that canopy doesn't quite allow that. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just Definitely. one of those. Love it. <laughs> So next question for you, Morgan, is um, since you are like thinking about going to the airlines and that kind of is like the gig that you want to do, do you do you think that there are areas in the airline industry that can breed situational stress and like how will you deal with those stressors? Absolutely. I I mean, I obviously haven't flown for the for the industry, but I've got, um, I guess, seven years, seven years of, of working for the airlines. Um under my belt, yeah, th- three of those were downstairs on the ramp, you know, slinging bags, uh, but the other three were, were as an operations agent. And um, sort of as, as things rebounded from COVID, I saw how like, str- I mean, everyone was stressed, you know, in their own way, but like the, the pilots um, were like really overworked, um, you know, barely having any, you know, any time between flights to stop and go get food. And like, it, it just felt chaotic, um, you know, everyone trying to, to keep up with, you know, the airlines trying to, you know, accommodate all these passengers, but they don't have the manpower for it, you know? Um, 
so I think that was stressful in itself. Uh, I, I know they're offering extra pay um, and all that for you know pilots working in their off time, their you know their off days, but it would to you can only do so much you know before you're just fatigued and, and you you can't push yourself anymore um so I, I think I saw I saw a lot of a lot of burnout um with pilots so I think that's gonna be something to keep an eye on um I'm hoping it'll be less of an issue um in the near future as you know people start the, you know the airlines start hiring more and, and sort of figuring out the schedule and understanding that hey, you can only push your people so hard. Yeah. Oh, they don't care. I will tell you that. Like they know, they've been, they've known about the pilot shortage for a long time. They've been talking about it for five years, even at the airline that my husband works for. And no one has done anything. The chief pilots just screaming at the top of their lungs. Like we need more pilots. And they're trying to, you know, just make the budget even smaller for the pilot group. Um, and their classes, all the classes at the airlines now, Delta, United, all the majors, they're all going unfilled. Jeez. So there's not enough pilots. So that is a thing definitely to look out for. That's something that I really stress with my husband too. I know he's going to get worked um, as a new captain, Yeah. Uh, but it, it does come back to you at the end of the day. I was just telling Emma how I saw Captain Chris on Instagram. I don't know if you follow him or not, but he flies for Virgin and he even said, he's like, I had to take myself off the flight line for my mental health because I was realizing I was getting so fatigued. But then he realized he had varicose veins in his legs that could have caused DVT, which is a huge thing when you're sitting as a pilot, deep vein Ooh. thrombosis, which yeah. can kill you um, if it dislodges. Um, so he, I love that he shared that because I think a lot of times when we think about the airlines, Yes, while you do get paid well, you have benefits, you have insurance, you have dental care, you know, you have all these things, you, the company will still use you to and maximize you, your time if, if you allow them to. So kind of stepping back and realizing that situational stress is there is important. And I love that you pointed out fatigue, because I think that's the big one that, that will yeah. hit most people first. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Yeah, you can only do so much when you're <laughs> when you're at your limit. So yeah, I think just taking time. At least he's he you know was aware enough of himself to be like, look, I need I need to take a step back. This is this is not happening. Yeah, yeah, and and I love that he posted about it because I, I think a lot of pilots, you know, yeah. I say this all the time. Like for the airlines, we, we always post all the good things that are happening, and we don't really like to share the bad. So right. that was kind of huge for him and his platform to share that. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of like quality of life, which is like a huge point that Maddie and I touch on, you know, as you're ascending through, you know, your career, time building, being a CFI, and then working your way up to the airlines, how do you plan on putting your QOL first? Like, is there anything that you do to make time for yourself and kind of give yourself that extra love? Usually, yes. I haven't been great at figuring that out. recently there's just coming home and like transitioning to to being back and and like trying to split up my time between you know family and girlfriend my my grandmother um had a a heart attack like right right before I finished school um so she's actually here in Houston my uh my dad and and mom went to go pick her up from West Virginia and and drove her back so uh, so I've been sort of helping you know take care of her and we're not really taking care she doesn't need she, that woman doesn't need any help <laughs> but just keeping an eye on her and like staying with her so my my time at the moment has been has been spread pretty uh pretty thin um but usually like I, I like 
um, like rugby and uh, lifting weights, neither of which I've been able to do since I've been home. Um, as much as I want to play rugby, though, I don't think um, a head injury would would be good. Farewell. <laughs> yeah. 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 A nice. Uh, nothing like a good concussion to kick off my aviation career. Yeah. Um, so I probably gotta gotta avoid that, and it's also the just the drive. I, I don't think I can really make that happen. It sounds like I'm gonna be pretty busy flight instructing. Um, so so I need to be better at, at making time for myself. I think that that's mostly gonna look like, you know, spending time in the, in the the gym and you know get to lifting heavy again. Uh, that's where I feel most comfortable and when I like feel my my best. Because right now I've been a lazy bum. Well, not really that lazy. I've just been running around and then on my off time been really lazy. <laughs> Hey, sometimes you need that rest. So I'm, I'm definitely yeah. there with you. Like hitting the gym is like my sweet place where I just like let everything go. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm like throwing around some weights, make sure yes. I'm still strong. <laughs> yes. I'm like, let me see if I can do a 145 pound deadlift. Right. So. <laughs> looking a little rough for, for now. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> back into those. I got an old back injury <laughs> that likes to remind me. It's <laughs> yeah. You're like, I need a back brace now. Right. <laughs> kinds of supplements supplements. okay well now we get to go into our fun questions and since we had our little pre-pod interview and probably talked about cheese for 45 minutes (laughs) uh, (laughs) like for real talked about cheese for 45 minutes a place in my heart okay (laughs) yes I think all of us can agree um so what is your favorite cheese you know what? That's a, a not a good question to ask. I don't <laughs> like know. Do it at a tiered that. system. One, two, and three. <laughs> it depends on what I'm, because I like to cook a lot. So I, it sort of depends on what I'm cooking and obviously, yeah, as far as you just, got, you got to pick like, one. Okay. Or, well, I can't do that. That's such a difficult, okay. Either Havarti or Munster. Mm. probably just for like cube cheese to like heb is our is our grocery store here in texas and heb is along with bucky's the the pinnacle oh. it is that is so texan bucky it is <laughs> like the name of a grocery store bucky's yeah. heb is, is run better and takes better care of texas than the government does all right <laughs> i swear I to god it. they they really do. And you know, the CEO um, of HEB just said he was like retiring. And I think all of, all of Texas let out a collective, like, no like morning. They're like, yes, yes. Morning. We're all, in, we're all in morning at the moment. And also so the biggest time. Bucky's is no longer in Texas. And that's just, it's whole, you know, don't get me started. It's fine. We're fine. That's <laughs> how I we're feel here. about food lion. <laughs> you know, food lion. Cause you were in North Carolina, but that's like North Carolina staple is a food lion, dude. You know what? Line is everywhere. I didn't even go there until my last two weeks of Whoa. of school. I went to Harris Teeter. And Harris, then I, I knew went, you were gonna say that. Harris you know Teeter. <laughs> I went. I'm so upset with myself. I'm I'm so mad that I didn't go there earlier. Um, I'll have no, to the food coog is where it's at. The food coog. Yeah, that's what. It, well, it's you know, food lion. You know, you could call it food cat, food cougar, oh, oh. food kitty. <laughs> Yeah, you have okay. so many names for all the things in North Carolina. <laughs> I think that's like a North Carolina thing, like having a bunch of different names for something when you could just call it one thing so that no one ever understands what you're talking about. <laughs> that's the goal. We want people to be confused. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to North Carolina. <laughs> <Right>. Perfect. <laughs> 
it was nice, but I got out. I had to get back to Texas. I don't blame you. I do not blame you. <laughs> Maddie, what is your favorite cheese? I don't think I've ever asked you this. Dude, I like like the stinkiest cheese, which is like either Roquefort or blue cheese, which most oh. people are like gross, but I <laughs> love that shit. Okay. They have her place on a charcuterie board somewhere. It's not my favorite, but yes. Dude, <laughs> blue cheese is... Oh, I got some blue cheese recently. It was like um from Harris Teeter, uh, but it was like really expensive, like $15 blue cheese and honey. Oh. When I cut into it, it the, the penicillin, like the blueness of <laughs> like, you could, you could see so intricately the mold that was growing. Oh my God. Love when I, I was stuffing olives with it. And when <laughs> I stopped stuffing olives, my hands were blue. Okay. Oh and that is a standard. That should be the standard for blue cheese. Yes. Oh God, I love it. <laughs> I love blue cheese, what but I'm definitely, uh, I love blue cheese, but see blue cheese is like kind of one of those occasional things. Like I can't eat blue cheese all the time unless it's a marbled blue cheese. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. <laughs> It has to be the fanciest of the blue cheeses. Yeah. A marble is more of like something that you can eat on a daily basis. It's not too um, moldy. The, the mold is a little less significant, but the flavor is still there. But for me, it's definitely like the oldest Gouda I can possibly find. Like a three-year-old Gouda with like some big like rock, like salt, like in there you know what I mean mm, I want it crunchy that crunch you know? oh yeah like I like the crunch like I like the creamy and the crunch so and then beyond that I definitely say more easily accessible is like a um like a parmigiano regino or some kind of parm um mm. there's one called like pepper pepper I'm, I'm not I'm pepper, not even gonna go there. I know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah it's it's more it's like way saltier and dude when i tell you it's so crunchy and so good and so delicious it's like pecorino right yes pecorino pecorino Pecorino, regino or something we know our cheeses (laughs) i'm way too basic i keep it super simple but now i need okay so game plan if and when we all get together, we're going to have some bomb ass charcuterie board. Yes. Oh, yes. Charcuterie board. Yes. Charcuterie board with some killer stinky cheeses. It's going to be great. I'll smell it from a mile away too. Oh yeah. <laughs> I will know how to find each other. <laughs> Follow the smell of, of uh, mold. <laughs> Dude, you want to know seriously the grossest. Uh, so that pepper, the pepper, whatever the parm that we were talking about yeah Yeah, Uh i cooked something with it like last week and there was still like a cube you know like a decent sized cube left yeah i kept it so my sister's (laughs) room is right next to mine she got a little fridge so i put it in there so nobody else would eat it but like there was one night just i don't know what happened something came over me i was like you know i really just want that cheese and i got in bed and i ate that cheese and my boyfriend was asleep and he like woke up was awoken (laughs) by the smell like and then I felt disgusting because after it was all said and over I go I wash my hands you know I like I brush my teeth then I take like a like a baby wipe I'm like washing my face and I get back in bed and I can like still smell it and I'm like "Mm, okay (laughs) never doing that again now I gotta change the sheets Uh, why are you power washing the carpet you know it just stunk I can't I can't like I sometimes now that was like a while ago but every now and then I like I'll be like laying in bed and I just get like it's like PTSD like I'll kind of smell cheese and I'm like no there's a crumb somewhere (laughs) 
I missed something. <laughs> Dude, it's messed up. I'm messed up. That's so gross. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to regret saying that, but it is <laughs> what it is. It you what you gotta do, and sometimes eating stinky cheese in bed is is what it comes it's to. Okay. It's all right. We understand. The cheese lovers understand. Oh yeah, we don't blame you on this. Not at all. Okay, so this is a second question, which it does has nothing to do with cheese. But um, have you ever been pulled over, and how did you react, and what was the reason you got pulled over? Oh God, not recently. Um, it's okay. I think. When was the last time I got pulled over? Um, last time, honestly, last time I got pulled over was probably like six years ago, but there was this one time and I think it was my senior year of high school. My friends had like decorated my car in like car paint and toilet paper. And I literally had like toilet paper, like being, you know, tossed about in the wind from the little antenna on my car. There's like, I, I was just asking to be pulled. I mean, the, also the fact that I was going like 88 miles an hour may have been asking for, you know, <laughs> that may have done it but you know also my car looking like it's just an absolute disaster <laughs> really really catches the eye but uh I got pulled over it was like a couple of days before Christmas um I think I teared up a little bit uh it wasn't even on purpose I was just so nervous uh he ended up being really cool though he's like look he's like, oh. I was like all right I'll, I'll lower it down to like 80 he's like <laughs> so I still got like a ticket but it wasn't you know as bad as it could have been <laughs> oh, yeah. but uh slowed down after that and also now I realize that I cannot afford to get pulled over so I I try to keep it together <laughs> was that in Texas yes yeah okay. I thought nobody ever got I probably was there okay well if you're uh, being an idiot <laughs> Honestly, if you're Morgan you get a ticket right <laughs> there's oh gosh yeah no Texas roads are something else I, I definitely wasn't you know the fastest person out there <laughs> Someone else should have gotten pulled over. Whatever. Yeah. I'm over it. I see Texas drivers that, like here in Washington. I'm like, holy shit, they're just mobbing. And right. I'm like, they must never get pulled over because, you know, here in Washington, the state troopers, we call them the poop troop, um, <laughs> but they suck. So like you, the speed limit's usually like 60, 65 here. So if you go over even five miles over, you're going to get a ticket because that's like what pays all our taxes and stuff. Right. Um, how we make revenue. And um, you always get a ticket. The, like, I don't think I've ever not gotten a ticket from a state trooper, but um, my story, which I think is just like a character flaw in me, but I hate authority. So <laughs> I was speeding and I was also going 80 and a 60, but I was going downhill. And so you, anytime you go from uh, West coast to, or West side to East side in Washington, you have to go over a mountain pass. So yeah. I'm on the down slope of the mountain pass. So obviously I'm going to be going over speed. Um, and I'm mobbing home cause it's summertime. I want to go have a good time. And I see a state trooper on the side and he already has someone pulled over and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm good. He's not going to pull me over. No. What does he do? He literally puts his arm out of the window and signals me over to the side. Like you need to pull over. He doesn't even turn his lights on. You're done here. And I looked at him and I was like, fuck you. You're going to have to chase me because yeah. I'm not pulling over for you just for like, you're not even doing anything. Like you got to right. work for the money, bro. You got to work for it. <laughs> so I made him get like pull in, out into traffic and chase me a little bit before I pulled over. Oh and God. I knew it, I knew I was going to get a ticket anyway. So I was like, might as well make it a little fun. And, um, <laughs> You know, for a ride. he's like, you know how fast you were going? I was like, no, no, I don't. 
soon. And dude, I was wearing the skimpiest thing because it was so hot. And I was like, maybe he won't. Maybe he'll be. <laughs> maybe. Nope. It didn't matter. My baby maybe this is my lucky nothing. day. <laughs> you you made me get back in my car and pull you over. Yes, I'm giving you a ticket. Yep. I got that ticket real quick. Yeah. <laughs> There's no getting out of this one. But Emma actually is really good at getting out of tickets. Nice. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Oh, I, your you tricks. Know, I've been, I've gone a really long time with my license without getting pulled. And it really wasn't until like my second year living in Raleigh, I've been pulled three times throughout having my license. And it's always been like dumb stuff. So the first time it was my tags were expired and this really nice cop pulled me over. He was like such a gentleman, like really nice guy. Um, he was like, you know, baby, just as long as you get it fixed, I'm not worried about it. You you go on your way now. And I'm like, thank you. You're so (laughs) kind. Thank you so much for your service. You don't know. I'm just so grateful. Um, the second time I, I think, so this time kind of pissed me off because I know I was not speeding because I saw this dude from like miles away. And like, I knew they were going to be sitting in this one intersection. Cause they always sit there. So yeah. miles before we even run up on this, like I have my cruise control set and I have it set like three over, um, the speed limit, which speed limit was like 65. And I had it set at 68 because if you're going exactly the speed limit, sus to me. So right. oh, yeah. I'm coming down this hill and I'm still checking my speed and I start to see, you know, my, my cruise control is tipping a little bit. It won't let me go past two miles per hour over though. But I, I, I start, you know, stepping on my brakes coolly. We're all coming down this hill and I'm like, we pass them and I'm like, oh, we're, we're straight. Cause I look down at my, at my speedometer and I haven't gone past like 70 and the speed limit 65. Yeah. And I keep on driving and all of a sudden I notice he pulls out and I'm like, mm, must be a coincidence. But at this point I'm shaking, like I'm starting to shake because he gets behind me and he starts hauling ass to get up behind me. And I'm like, Oh God, it's happening now. It's happening now. (laughs) He pulls out into the other lane and like drives up beside me, hangs out beside me for a little bit is like looking into my car and I'm, I'm chilling. I'm driving my boyfriend's in the passenger seat. He, and then all of a sudden he goes like up ahead of me and I'm like, Oh, dang. Hell yeah. <laughs> you just wanted to make you sweat. Yeah. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? I'm getting lucky today, man. I was just tripping. <laughs> and then he just immediately slams on his brakes, throws on his lights and gets directly behind me, like some fast and furious shit. He just like slammed on him and dropped back and got behind me. It was the scariest thing I have. Dude. So then I pull over and we're on the side of a highway and like people are going decently fast speed limit 65. And there's really not like an edge to the side of the road. It's just kind of like that little like piece of concrete that they put right there. Just so if you run off, you're not going to immediately run off the road. Yeah. So I'm pretty much on the road on the highway and this motherfucker comes up and is like, Hey, sweetie, I'm going to need you to step out of the car. Oh, and I'm like, okay, we're literally on the side of a highway. I've never had to step out of my vehicle for getting pulled over. Like what is happening? And I step out and I'm wearing riding clothes, but I don't have all my riding boots. So it's just like some legging tidy whities with like these unnecessarily long socks that come up to my knees and I'm wearing Birkenstocks. I mean, I look like an absolute (laughs) fruit loop. This guy starts commenting on my socks, my pants. He's like, well, where are your boots? I'm like, what the, what is going on? I was like, sir, like, 
my boots are in the in the trunk like do you want to see my boots he kept asking me where i was coming from and then at the all of it he interrogates me scares the shit out of me and then hands me a warning i was like great three miles per hour over yeah yeah he tried to tell me i was going 10 over and i was like i just know that's not true and i told him i was like sir if i was going 10 over then like my speedometer is broken and i need to go to the shop because i have been checking my speed this whole entire time but yeah most recent time i got pulled I got pulled for my tags again and a headlight that I didn't realize was out. And I got out of that because he saw that my license plate had the Piedmont logo. (laughs) And he asked me if I was a pilot. And I was like, yeah, I actually happen to be one, not for the airlines yet, you know, aspiring, you know, but it takes a lot of time and money. I literally money guilted him. I was like, I was like in my head, I was like, you know, if he knows I'm struggling and like trying to get there, he won't give me a ticket because he knows that that, you know, that $250 could go towards my flight lesson. You know? Right, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Guilt him into it. There you go. No, I got away. <laughs> lucky. Nice. Very lucky. Dude, that's awesome. Okay, well, next, last and next question, which is nothing to do with getting pulled over. Um, you know, I had these like random thoughts so I make these questions up and this is how my brain works. Like one thing to the another. Um, so if you're, you go to the movie theater, you have the option to get snacks. What are you going to, what are you going to get for the, for the movie? Um, I don't carry a purse, but I would probably carry a purse and bring in like a full meal. <laughs> yeah, I remember you're buying, you're like, <laughs> I'll buy something from the local Chinese shop across the street and bring it in and have a four course meal. I am in a substantial amount of debt. All right. I am not buying popcorn. (laughs) Just say you have unlimited funds. What would you buy? What's okay. Okay. Unlimited funds. Uh, I mean, one of everything. I mean, I'm probably, it depends on the theater. Do they have beer? I'm definitely going to drink a little bit while I enjoy this movie. But then, you know, actually then there's a problem of like missing part of the movie because you have to go up and go pee. (laughs) There's a whole I, lot. I will hold here. it. <laughs> just, I'm just like spilling, you know, I'm just like, oh, I'm not getting up because I'm so tall too, that like people are like, I'm, I'm definitely blocking their view. <laughs> I do like sitting on the end. That's a good reason to sit on. Same with like, you know, a flight. I'm like, I prefer the window seat occasionally. If I know I drank a lot of water, maybe, you know, Southwest, I'm gonna grab the uh, aisle seat here. <laughs> yes. I'm a window seat person too. Well, for me, they do this little special. It's called Cheeto popcorn. And that's the shit I will be getting every time I go to the theater. They, they discontinued it during COVID. And I was so upset that I literally went to the store and bought Cheetos and like put it in my, my coat, my big coat. And then I got popcorn and mixed it together. (laughs) Oh, for me, it's like easily just popcorn. Like like I'm not, I don't care how poor I am. If I'm going to the movie theater, I'm getting popcorn. <laughs> like yeah. like uh, I will, I'll, I'll bring in a drink, like a water bottle and like smuggle in drinks. Cause ain't nobody paying $6 for a smart water. No. Like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> right. um, but I will pay $10 for medium popcorn. <laughs> I can't, I can't. I, every single time I go in there, it's like overwhelming, but popcorn <laughs> is my favorite snack. So like it's, it's really hard not to go in and not get popcorn. Well, I really like those junior mints. I, I like the sweet mm-hmm. and salty. Mm, a junior mint is so good at the movie theater. I mean, it's something about, you know, the extra five bucks that you paid for it. It really makes it taste better. Mm-hmm. 
It really does. And that's on Welsh. (laughs) (laughs) I remember going into a a movie and sneaking it in in like high school and um, me and my friend stop at like KFC for whatever reason. Or no, actually, maybe they was leftover. I can't remember, but I literally came in with a Ziploc baggie full of fried chicken. I'm, oh my God. That's, that's, that, that's the best one I've ever heard. I've <laughs> never heard of anyone bringing in like, like actual food like that. Um, that is, that's iconic. See that, that seems like such a North Carolina thing to do. <laughs> fried, fried chicken. <laughs> yep. Yep. Do what you gotta do with high school i didn't have any money <laughs> yeah for real your allowance for the weeks like your dad gives you like 20 bucks 20 dollar bill have some have fun sweetie have fun with your friends go get some fried chicken like, take what i'm like i drive a fucking <laughs> suburban that's like not even gas <laughs> dude all right y'all well we're gonna go ahead and wrap up this week's episode. Thank you so much, Morgan, for coming on the show. We had a blast. Oh, same. It's, it's a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you so much for having me. 